0: I was about to introduce myself, but my name is Mikey Portis. I'm one of the camp directors here at Ponderosa. I know we asked this question just a second ago, but how many of you, this is your first time here at Hume? Awesome, awesome. We're glad that you guys are here, come on. And with that first time, it's the first time in Ponderosa Chapel, how many of you guys, we just saw the opener, how many of you guys have no idea what you just witnessed and you're trying to figure it out? right we're on a boat there's a bunch of sailors up here we're singing songs and then a bunch of people dressed in trash are just coming up on the stage and they're singing about the tide the tide and so we're gonna be going through the book of Daniel this week and we're really really excited about that and I know some of you guys probably growing up in the church are maybe familiar with the book of Daniel Um, and so you guys see the veggie tales come on Veggie tales, the chocolate bunny, all of it. We love it. Well, we're going to be going through the book of Daniel, and so what you guys just saw is kind of a representation of what we're going to be doing for the next few days, and so the opener basically just starts out camp, and so what you guys saw is going to start out, we're going to have six different films, each and every night you guys are going to see them, and each of those films is going to kind of tell the narrative and the story of Daniel. And so basically, the Omnians, the sailors that were on this boat at the very, very beginning of the opener, they represent the nation of Israel. And if you're familiar with the the story of Daniel, you know that the nation of Israel was taken into Babylonian captivity. And I want you to notice the reason why that the people on this boat ended up getting taken captive was because they tried to go their own way, Judith. She represents the nation of Israel, the one with the dark hair that was steering the ship. And she tried to go her own way. And the reason why Israel was in this predicament in the first place is because though God continually gave him chance after chance after chance, and we'll learn about this more tomorrow, but chance after chance to follow him, to obey them, to obey him, they continually just went their own way. And so... That's kind of what you saw. And then the trashers that were coming from the back then they were coming up to the front, those represent the Babylonians. And if you know the story of Daniel, the Babylonians were a pagan culture and the trashers that they represent, they worship something you call the tide. They call it the tide. The tide brings them everything they want, everything that they could ever need, all the trash that they want. They dress in trash, they make trash statues, they eat the trash. It's everywhere. And so throughout the next couple of days, you guys will see that story unfold in the videos. You'll see Darlene and Sherman and Judith be presented with the opportunity to kind of either assimilate, to actually give in to the temptation and the people that surround them and the culture that surrounds them or they'll have the opportunity to stand firm. But why are we going through the book of Daniel? What's the significance Of Daniel. Maybe you guys are here for the first time and again, you have no idea what's going on. We're yelling at you. You're like, I don't know why I'm here. But the truth is, is that we believe that you're here for a reason. And the reason Hume Lake exists is we open up God's word. We ask that the Lord would speak through whoever's on this stage and that you guys, as a result, would come to know that God more and more and that you would give your life to him this week. And so as we go through the book of Daniel, I want to encourage you, maybe you're tempted to just kind of dismiss every single thing that's set up on the stage. Chris Hilkin is our speaker this week. I'm super, super excited for him to be here. But maybe, maybe you're tempted to just dismiss everything. You're already come into this place ready to, to dispute, ready to debate, ready to put up the walls. And I'd ask that you wouldn't do that. I'd ask that you would get to know the God of the Bible this week, that you would lean in, that it wouldn't be something that you reject immediately. Because as we'll learn, this God knows you, He knows everything about you. And He wants to speak to you this week as we open His Word. So if you guys have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3. If you guys don't have a Bible, we'd love to get you guys one. After this, after we dismiss you guys, you guys can find the Bibles in the back, and we'll get you guys a Bible. Daniel chapter three is where we're gonna be tonight, and this is kind of the main theme of this verse. Daniel chapter three, verse 14. This is our theme verse. This is the thrust of what we're gonna be talking about. So we're gonna read it in just a moment. And if you don't know where Daniel is, Go ahead, open up to the middle of your Bible. You'll see 14, Daniel 14, we'll start there. If you guys just flip to the middle middle of your Bible and just start flipping right, you'll, you'll eventually reach Daniel. It's after Ezekiel. Daniel chapter three. Before we dive into God's word, there's something that you guys need to know. The main thing and the reason, well, I guess the main thing that we want you guys to take out of this week or the main question we're gonna be asking you this week is this, how can we be resilient believers in a world that is hostile toward Christianity? How can we be resilient believers in a world that's increasingly hostile toward Christianity? I think it's probably pretty easy for us to recognize that um, not everyone believes what we do. And it's not necessarily believes what we do, but believes what the Bible says. And as the years go on, and as you guys are in public school education, or you're surrounded by different types of friends, or you're going to different colleges, you'll begin to recognize that. And you probably already do feel that. You see it maybe on TikTok, Instagram, the consistent theme that, man, the world really just does not agree with the things that I believe if I'm a Christian. Last year, we talked about truth and the fact that truth is objective. How many of you guys were here for Truth Be Told last year? Come on, that's awesome. But we talked about the fact that Jesus Christ himself says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And I remember having conversations with students, many students, and and there was two in particular I remember talking to in which they understood the truth. I, Mikey, I understand what the Bible says. I, mean, I understand that Jesus Christ claims to be the truth, and I believe that. I believe that he is the way, the truth, and the life. But the moment I go down the hill, it feels like it's impossible to actually live for him. There's an ocean of temptation around me. I don't know how to actually live for the Lord. I don't know actually how to share my faith. I don't really know what to do with this addiction that I have. I don't know what to do when my friends are tempting me and pulling me in all these different directions. I don't know what to do when there's such a pressure for success and to go to a good college, and after college get you know, a good job, and then that's it. There's all this pressure, societal pressure, waiting for you at home. But not only that, the average American teenager spends seven hours a day on their phone. Seven hours a day is the average amount of time that teenagers spend on their phone. And so not only are you experiencing these pressures from society and these pressures in in your public schools, from your teachers, from your friends, from your sports teams, but you're also consuming information and content on a level on which we've never seen before in the history of mankind. There is more information in your phone than anybody has seen in a lifetime in 1950. And so you have to ask yourself this question. You're surrounded by a culture that's not only hostile towards Christianity, but is pushing it in your face. And the goal of this week is never to just say, well, they're the enemies, and so we're gonna fight back. No, as you see and as we read in Daniel, we see actually somebody who was resolved and believed what he believed beyond the shadow of a doubt and he was able to stand by his convictions and despite the world around him changing, he knew he didn't control the things around him. He knew that God was in control. Despite everything around him changing, he knew one thing, that his God was on the throne, that he was seated high and he lifted up And that he was going to worship him despite the ever-changing circumstance around him. So, Daniel chapter 3, this is where we're going to be tonight, just briefly. If you know anything about the story that kind of plays out, it's Daniel and it's his three friends. It's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were their Hebrew names. And the crazy thing about that is the fact that when they got taken into Babylonian captivity, you would have seen young men like Daniel and his friends, their worlds were turned completely upside down. Everything they knew. When it says at the very beginning, in the reign of King Jehoiakim, that Nebuchadnezzar took them and some of the vessels of the house of God, when that happened, it's just a sentence But what we need to realize is that Daniel and his friends would have seen people slain. That Babylonians would have stormed their towns, taken them, ripped them from their homes, and marched them through the streets. And that their cities were on fire and laid to ruin because the Babylonians were the most powerful force the world had seen thus far. Nebuchadnezzar was their king and he was brilliant. He was also a madman. And he was on a tear and Jerusalem was in his way and the nation of Israel was in his way. And so as he took these young men out of their homes, it says that Daniel and his friends were selected to be a part of the king's court. And so not only are they marching through the streets, but eventually they're asked to come visit the king and to stay in the king's palace And their experience would likely be way different than all the other Israelites. They were treated well. It says that they were good looking. It says that they were intelligent. The reason why they were chosen was because Nebuchadnezzar wanted young men that could be trusted. And that the Hebrew people, as they were assimilating, he needed to know more about them. And so he chose young men like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And so this is all happening around them. Everything they knew, gone. It's seemingly their identities were changed overnight. In fact, they were given new names, new names. But, you know, our names don't really mean a whole lot, right? My name is Michael. I go by Mikey. It's my birth name, Michael Gregory Portis. And then some of you guys have other names. But the truth is, is that the Hebrew names that they were given were linked to their identity as believers and followers of Yahweh. And so as they were given these names, a lot of these names, like Daniel's name, meant God is my judge. God is my judge. Their names represented this devotion to their God, that they, the, the God that they worshiped. And so when they're given new names, what names are they given? Belteshazzar, which means wife of the dragon. The God, Bel, Baal, that they worshipped, Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians worshipped this god. They were given a new name and it says wife of the dragon. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego also had pagan ideologies and religious ideologies written all over it. And so all this is happening. You might think that they thought that their entire identity was changed. That they didn't know what to do. But Daniel and his friends, despite all that was going on around them, knew that the God they served had not left them alone. So if you're in Daniel chapter three, verse 14, here's what it says. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were presented with the opportunity to bow to a golden idol that Nebuchadnezzar built. And so this is their response. In this moment. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up Now if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Resilience. Resilience. You see it in that very, very moment. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego not only were just tempted to denounce their God, they were tempted to bow to a golden idol or be thrown into a burning, fiery furnace. And some of you guys, and I know this, most of us will never be placed in a situation where we will be thrown into a furnace for what we believe. But I think it's interesting as we read this verse and we talk about the resilience of these three men, that they could have probably said in their heart, you know, God knows my heart, I don't need to bow. You know, God knows who I am, God knows what I believe, God knows what I think, I don't need to bow. They probably could have done that, but did they? No. They recognized that if they bowed, they would be compromising on what they believed. They would be bowing to an idol. And so I love that in the second verse when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. They're saying, we can't. They've already made up their minds. Resilience. Resilience. Resilience in the dictionary is defined as this being able to withstand or recover quickly from difficult conditions. Difficult conditions. How many of you guys are Dodger fans out there? Dodger fans? Brandon Kruger, Dodger fan, come on. Hey. When we talk about resilience, <laughs> regular season resilience. Postseason not resilience, okay? We recognize that. How many of you guys are going to win Kajabi? Okay, you're gonna need resilience in order to do that. Okay, you're gonna need to bounce back from difficult situations. How many of you guys think that the person that just rose their hand are all talk? Yeah, they are. Come on. Resilience. How many of you guys are Giants fans? Hey, I'm really, really, Listen, I'm really glad that you guys are here. We're going to be praying for you guys all week long. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. When we were coming up with this message and when we were coming up with this message that we want to share with you all week long, We're asking the question, how can we be resilient in a hostile culture? We kind of got together. We're talking about resilience, this idea. And the reason that we were talking about resilience is because we we read this article produced by Barna Research. And Barna Research is a group that studies Christians. There's more important, I guess, things on that. But Barna Research. And they came up with an article. And essentially this article was titled, Exiles. And it was basically talking about the fact that 65 to 75% of young students that are in high school, by the time they enter college, they stop attending church. And then quickly after that, they denounce their faith. And then they end up living completely different lives they did when they were part of their youth groups or part of their churches. And so many of those people that have come up maybe to camps like this, that maybe stood up in this chapel, if you're familiar with kind of how things happen, and they go down the hill, and maybe they're part of their youth groups, and then by the time they hit college, they never really understood what the Bible actually said, and they start getting questioned by maybe some of their professors, or maybe some of their friends that are around them. And so the question that this article was trying to answer was not what went wrong with these students that ended up leaving the church, the question that this article is trying to answer is, what was the common denominator between those that, stand, that stood firm? The remnant, as, as what they would call it. Those that remained. So what was the common denominator between all of them? And as we study, Daniel we will recognize and we'll see these characteristics play out throughout the week. You'll see Daniel's resolve. You'll see his fear of God and not man. You'll see these things. And so my encouragement to you guys is as you go throughout this week, hearing these stories that Chris is bringing up and reading through the book of Daniel, that you would lean into the story because the book of Daniel is not there to just preach at you and tell you how to live. It shows you Daniel lived a life for his God. He lived by example. You don't know what someone believes You don't actually know what somebody believes unless you see how they live. And so the question as we go throughout this week is how are you going to live in light of the things that you're learning here? Which God will you serve? There are four things, characteristics, that I believe resilient believers have, that, ta- that were talked about in this article, but I believe as I read the book of Daniel and I see Daniel's character, there are four characteristics I think are crucial for us to understand if we are going to stand firm in today's culture. And the first one is this, that resilient believers fear God and not man. So you have your notepads, you guys can write that down. Resilient believers fear God and not man. What is the fear of the Lord? <laughs> this is something growing up, I used to think that God, when I, when I read about the fear of the Lord in the Bible or was taught about it, I used to think that God was like chasing me down and I had to run away or something. But as I learned more and more, the fear of the Lord is in awe and reverence for him. So every single time when you see in the book of Proverbs, when Proverbs nine ten says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, that fear, the fear of the Lord, really just means Reverence and awe, and so the truth is, is that Daniel, it's not that he was scared of God that he was going to be struck down if he didn't do what God asked him to do. It's that Daniel had a confidence in his God because the fear of the Lord and confidence in who He is are two sides of the same coin, and so. There's an amazing quote by Oswald Chambers. He talks about this. He says, The remarkable thing about fearing God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else, whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. Blessed is everyone that feareth the Lord. So Daniel, reverence and awe for his king, for his God, wasn't going to bow down to the idols, wasn't going to eat the king's food, was resolved in his heart not to do these things because he knew his God and because he feared him. And I feel like a lot of this gets lost in today's cultural Christianity. And many of us say we follow the Lord, but the truth is is that if we don't fear him, we won't live like we follow him. We'll follow our own desires. And at the end of the day, in short, to fear fear the Lord is to say, He is God and I am not. And so when you're tempted by all these things that surround you, ask yourself that question. Which God do you serve? The God that is high and lifted up? Or do you trust your own mind? It's an important question to ask. The truth is is that I... I think that many times we think, again, that the fear of the Lord sometimes is just like a mutual respect. God, you're pretty awesome. I'm a pretty cool guy. Bet You know, agree to disagree. A mutual respect. But that's not what we read in scripture. Do you think Daniel was constantly debating God and saying, well, I actually don't know if that's what you mean there. I actually think it means something else. In fact, I I'm going to believe this other thing because it supports my own point of view a little bit more. No, Daniel submitted himself to the Lord. The second thing that resilient believers have is that they trust in the living God. They not only fear God, but that fear causes them to have an unshakable trust in who he is. Just think about it for a second. Isaiah chapter six, this is amazing message. This is the prophet Isaiah. And if you guys don't know what a prophet is in the Old Testament, it's basically someone who heard from God and then declared to everybody else what they heard. And so Isaiah is speaking to the people of Israel and this is before Daniel, but he says, he has this vision and he's declaring what he sees. And he says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. He sees this vision of God. And he sees him high and lifted up and he doesn't maybe even have the words to describe what he's seeing. But what is his response? He falls right on his face and he says, woe is me for I'm a man of unclean lips and I live amongst the people of unclean lips. And then it says in that moment that God's voice shook the the foundations of the thresholds and said, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And then what is his response? Isaiah's response is, here I am, Lord. send me the fear of the Lord. But the truth is is that we don't just fear Him and have reverence and awe for him, but that translates to a trust in Him. a trust in Him. Proverbs 28:26 says, "Whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom will be delivered." Who do you put your trust in? A God where we can't even describe how amazing and majestic and holy he is. Or are you placing your trust in your friend groups that fail you every single time? Are you placing your trust in God who is called the Ancient of Days, which basically means he changes not, which means that he's the same today, yesterday, and forever. He's the only thing that's constant in our lives. Are you going to trust him or are you going to trust your own mind, your own intellect? And some of you guys are going through some pretty difficult things, and I understand that. You might say, well, Mikey, I want to trust God, but you have no idea what is going on at home right now. My parents are getting a divorce. I'm maybe getting kicked out of my home, I'm struggling hard with my friends, I'm caught in addictions, and that might be you, but you have an opportunity to place your trust in a God who not only is in control of the universe, but knows you by name, that knows every single hair on your head. Not only is he this amazing majestic God but he knows you and he wants you to know him and again if you're tempted to distance yourself this week I'd ask that you guys wouldn't you can trust this God Daniel trusted this God when the world was changing and falling apart And you might see this in our culture today, whether in politics, government, in your schools, in the education system, whatever it might be. It might look bleak, but the truth is is that God is in control and that we can trust him because he's the ancient of days. He doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Third thing, resilient believers have biblical convictions. Biblical convictions. I think this one's super important because... I feel like we have a lot of opinions about things, and you guys know this, we have so many opinions. This world is filled with opinions and convictions. A conviction is basically a firmly held opinion or belief. But when we talk about biblical convictions, it's not just an opinion. But when you look around at the world, and you recognize that people are willing to fight to the death at which sports team is the best. (laughs) People are willing to fight to the death to say that the Lakers are the greatest basketball team in the NBA. I'm a Lakers fan, and I am a, they're not. People have opinions about so many different things. And at the end of their life, they'll probably look back and recognize that those things didn't actually really matter. And maybe you have a lot of opinions, and maybe you have a lot of opinions of what's going to happen in here and what's happening right now, but the truth is is that, especially for you Christians, if we have opinions about everything else, but we have no idea what this says, then what does it matter? We have opinions about everything, but when it comes to the Bible, we have Many times, no conviction, and we're not convinced. That word conviction basically comes from the word to be convinced. Are you convinced that this is true? Are you convinced? Is it something that has changed you? Convictions change you. They change the way that you live. They change the way that you see the world. Do you see the world through the lens of Scripture, or do you consistently see the world through the way you want to see the world? I hope and pray that you're challenged this week with that. Paul was convinced. Paul was an apostle. He was the person that basically spread Christianity after Jesus has rose from the dead and ascended into heaven. Paul was tasked with spreading Christianity throughout Europe and even into Asia. And Paul is an incredible story. He was transformed by God himself. And he says, Paul Paul is writing to the Romans, and he says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Paul had conviction. He believed what he said. I am convinced. I am convinced. Are you convinced? Daniel was convinced. You wanna know why? Because he was quick to run to the Lord in times of crisis. He didn't run to the Babylonians. He didn't run to Nebuchadnezzar. He didn't run even to his friends. He gathered his friends and he says, guys, we need to pray. And you'll see that play out throughout the rest of the week. Resilient believers have convictions. The fourth thing is this, and this is the last thing. Resilient believers are not alone. Resilient believers are not alone. If you want want to stand firm, if you want to follow God in this culture, you cannot do it by yourself. It's impossible. I am a product. The reason that I'm even able to stand here right now is because of the friends that I had in my life. because when we didn't live it out perfectly, but my friends were anchors in my life that were constantly calling me out, that were constantly bringing me back to the Lord. I had these friends in high school and it's the reason that I'm even able to be here because without them, who knows where I'd be. Your friends are the most influential people in your life. They are more influential than your parents. They are more influential than your youth pastors. They are more influential than your counselors, than anybody in your life right now. And so who you spend the bulk of your time with matters. It matters. Are you spending your time with friends that are constantly pulling you away from the things of God? Maybe this week you have the opportunity to come into this place and again to receive what's being taught up here. But maybe your friends are gonna be constantly tempting you and causing you to mess around. And just basically here to mess around, to have fun, but the moment they get in here, they want you to disconnect. They don't really want you to hear the messages. They wanna distract you. Maybe they don't want to do that, but that's just what happens. Let's make this week a week we're able to cast aside distraction. And as friends, as people, as groups, you can challenge each other in your cabin times. You can challenge each other as you're out about during free time to live more like Daniel did. And the prayer and hope is that as you guys head home on Saturday, that you and your friends would be resolved on living for him. Resolved. That your mind would be made up before you head down the hill. That you would already know things that you're going to be tempted by by the time Saturday comes around, by the time Sunday comes around, and you know what your answer is going to be when those things present themselves. You know what you're going to delete off your phone. You know what you're going to break off. Whatever relationship, friend, or boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever that might be, you know in your heart that God is calling you to do something So you have that opportunity this week to lean in with your friends. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, there were three of them, and I always think what would happen if one of them didn't bow, or if one of them did bow? What would happen? There is power in the fact, I believe, as we read it in scripture, that all three of them did not bow. That they, all three, were resolved not to worship and not to bow down to the golden image. Do you have friends like that? You're going home to your churches on Saturday. I know it's already Sunday night. I'm already talking about Saturday. But it's something we gotta talk about because I don't want each and every single year us coming up to this place, coming into this chapel and feeling maybe the presence of God or feeling closer to the Lord and then the moment we go home, we're back to the same things that we were doing before we came up here. This year we have an opportunity to do something different to look at Daniel and to see how he lived his faith out in a hostile world. What does it mean to be resilient in a world that is hostile towards Christianity? We're gonna talk about that more this week. I'm gonna pray for us. And then Sarah's gonna come up here and we're gonna talk about what we got going on next. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for these students and these counselors. Even just, God, our own inability to maybe even just see that you have called us to live a life for you. And God, I pray for the students that are maybe here for the first time and are trying to figure out what's going on. And maybe the students that are in here that are feeling maybe challenged, maybe they don't agree with what was said and God I pray that this week Lord for those that do not know you God would you bring them in would you soften their hearts and their minds and God would you teach them from your word and would your Holy Spirit do a work in their life and for those that do know you but struggle to live for you God I pray that we would be presented and be asked the question which God do we serve God, that we either live for you or we don't. And God, for those that are struggling with what they know they believe, they don't really know what they believe when it comes to your word, God, I pray that you would help them, help them know what they believe, help them understand you more, know you more, and love you more as a result. Lord Jesus, we thank you for tonight and this evening. You are a good God and we worship you. And in Jesus' name, amen.